You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 900 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON to get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. Today's show features a visit from Andrew Kelly of Peachtree Hoops, good friend of the program. He'll be on momentarily. And also, I want to start off by thanking everybody that's listening to the podcast. Obviously, it's sort of a milestone episode. We're not quite to 1,000 just yet. 900 episodes is a lot of podcast material. And I know some of you have listened to all of them. My big thanks for all the support, all that stuff, but please subscribe if you're a new listener, and hopefully you will enjoy the podcast today. Before we get to Andrew, I want to go ahead and look ahead to Monday's game against the Knicks. The Hawks host the Knicks at State Farm Arena on Monday evening. New York is better this year so far than they have been in the past. They are 3-3 three and three on the season. They've won three of the last four, actually, including a road win over Indiana on Saturday. And... Um, I will point out that they've been a little bit lucky. They're still a bottom 10 team in net rating, for instance. Their offense is pretty gross on paper still in a good way for the Hawks. Um, Defensively, the Knicks have been pretty good so far. I don't necessarily buy that all the way, but they are better on that end of the floor. They turn the ball over a lot offensively. Second worst turnover rate in the NBA so far. That's a point of contention potentially for the Hawks to take advantage of. And um, I will just point out that even after the mess of offense on Saturday, and by the way, I talked about Saturday's game on the previous episode, right after the game. So if you missed that, the deep dive is still on this channel right now. But even after that, and the offensive collapse the Hawks had, they're still scoring almost 1.17 points per possession on the season. So uh, they should have plenty of op- options to have, success, I would say, sustain offensive success against the Knicks. So uh, a pretty positive matchup in a lot of ways for Atlanta. Now, with that said, the injury report is very busy for the Hawks. As discussed yesterday on the podcast, Danilo Gallinari is now going to be out for at least two weeks with the ankle injury. Hawks also still missing Chris Dunn and Okongwu and Tony Snell. And in this game, Kevin Herter is listed as questionable with a left ankle impingement. As we discussed on yesterday's podcast, he rolled it at the end of the game on Saturday. And then Rajon Rondo is doubtful with his knee injury. So the Hawks, if Herter cannot play, will be down to 11 players. And that includes both two ways with Nathan Knight and Skylar Mays. So pretty shorthanded. For Atlanta, obviously, if Herter plays, that would be very helpful. You have to expect Rondo to not play, although he is doubtful, not out. He could still play, but could be pretty shorthanded for the Hawks in this game. The Knicks are also a little bit short. They have Obi Toppin, who's injured right now, their lottery pick. They have uh, Frankie Smokes is still unavailable. Hawks legend Amari Spellman is doubtful for the Knicks, as well as Dennis Smith. And Alec Burks is questionable. So a very, very busy injury report on both sides. In this game, as of this recording on Sunday evening, BetOnline.ag, our friends over there, are making the Hawks as a six-point favorite in this game against the Knicks. Not a surprise. Atlanta's the better team. They're playing at home. That's about the same number as they were against Cleveland. I think the Hawks should be favored and should win this game if they play even solidly well. They did not play solidly well on Saturday. But in this game, the Hawks will have more rest. They had Sunday completely off after the back-to-back, so they'll be a well-rested team. Still playing at home, you know, home court advantage. This is something actually Bob Rathman uh, friend of the podcast and the voice of the Hawks on the TV side on Twitter rem- reminded me a little bit of on Saturday evening into Sunday morning. The Hawks, sort of the lack of a home crowd across the league. I haven't talked about it a lot on the podcast. I think home court advantage still exists for sure. You know, you're not traveling, all that stuff, but it's sort of not the same thing. I think that's probably a factor of some sort in the weird results this year, especially for a team playing with tired legs like the Hawks were on Saturday on the back-to-back against a Cleveland team that was not necessarily as tired. No pick-me-up from the home crowd 
that is worth pointing out as, as a potential factor and all of that stuff. But anyway, the Hawks are still at home on Monday. They're the better team. They have more talent than the Knicks, even with the shorthanded roster situation. So the Hawks should win that game. If they don't, we will talk about it. If they do, we'll talk about it on this podcast. And uh, there you go on that one. So that's coming. Monday, Monday evening, Hawks-Knicks from State Farm. I'll be in the building. We'll talk about that one after the fact. So please subscribe to the podcast, and I'll return after that one. Okay, before I get to Andrew, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is our friends at BetOnline.ag. The regular season is now over in the NFL, but the playoff picture is now in focus, and there'll be a ton of football action in the coming days. With that in mind, there is only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is BetOnline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA and all the fantastic matchups on a basis across that league, there's a jam-packed slate of college basketball games happening every single day. And of course, the college football playoff finals are coming very soon with Alabama and Ohio State squaring off. And from there, the wild card round of the NFL playoffs is looming this weekend. Six games on the docket and all kinds of interest. If none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings from BetOnline on any sport you can think of. BetOnline also has a huge menu of player props as well as live wagering, future bets, exotic wagers, and much, much more. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I am joined now by Peachtree Hoops contributor, basketball Twitter maven, all-around good guy. Andrew Kelly is here. Hello, sir, and thank you for joining me. Hey, what's up, Brad? I've been listening to this pod for... Man, I don't know how many episodes are on now. I know it's like well, well into the hundreds, but it's great to be on today. Andrew, you would not know this because uh, you didn't hear my intro, but this is actually episode 900. You are on a milestone episode right now. Congratulations. <laughs> very honored. It's great. Uh, yeah, it was actually funny. When I asked you to come on a couple of days ago, I was not necessarily prepared for the Hawks to blow a 15-point lead to the Cavs on Saturday night. And uh, there was some negativity. I'm sure you saw it. There was some negativity from Hawks fans after that game. But this is still a four and two basketball team. There's plenty of positive stuff to talk about. There are a few things I want to ask you about specifically. But if I ask you, you know, taking that game into account and all that stuff, if I ask you sort of for a broad takeaway or two from the early part of this season uh, or even the offseason, which you were obviously uh, talking about quite a bit on Twitter and with us at Peachtree Hoops. Where's your head at now as a Hawks observer through six games and uh, this weird season so far? All right. Before I answer that, I'll, I'll back up slightly to the game last night and just the negativity. I, I think it's important to remember that you do have these sort of schedule losses on these back-to-backs, especially in a cramped schedule. And you're going to have games where you just run out of gas in the second half. So, I mean, it, it happens. Like, I, I wouldn't really react too much to that game. It's just a one game. Um, but overall for the season, uh Really, the key takeaway has very clearly been the offense. Right now, they're second overall in offensive efficiency. And when you look at where they were last year, it's really dramatic how much they've improved. Now that they're third in uh, points per possession and overall half-court offense right now per synergy. So they've been really impressive overall. Um, And that's really been the key takeaway for me to this point is just how much better the offense has been. Yeah, I think that's got to be – and it's kind of funny – the numbers were even more impressive before Saturday because they had by far their worst half of any kind, but really their best, certainly their worst offensive half of the season in the second half against, against Cleveland. And coming into the game, they were number one in offense or number two. I can't remember which one coming into Saturday night, but the offense has been really impressive. We all kind of saw that coming on some level, 
But I guess a natural follow-up to that is, and we'll dive into some individuals in a second, but how good is the offense in your mind? Because I think we all kind of thought they were going to be good, but they've even been better than we predicted, I think, so far. I'm pretty confident that it's at least a, a top 10 unit. Right now, there's six in the league in points per possession on catch and shoot attempts, and they were 28th last year. You and I have spent a lot of time talking privately just to how much the shooting has improved this year with the signings they made in the offseason and some of the progress of the young guys. I mean, when you look at how poor they were last year, they just picked a lot of low-hanging fruit on offense, namely just optimizing their shooting around Trey a lot better. Um, so I think it is probably pretty sustainable. Um, they're also fourth in points per possessions on uh, – pick and roll ball handler possessions uh last year they were 16th and a lot of that is due to Trey this year but it shows how much better they've been with him off the floor this year and they've just been so much better um I think at finishing place so I think that overall I do think it's going to be pretty sustainable yeah I think that you know the debate now is more so is it like a, this is going to be a top three or five offense versus whether there was some debate about how good they were going to be coming in. You know, I did a couple of those, you know, national sort of preview shows as the Hawks person. And um, I would say like, look, my, my baseline was, was a top 10 offense for this team. And I got, I got some pushback at a couple of places, not hugely, but a couple of like raised eyebrows. I'm like, guys, if you just look at the roster, if you remember what they have coming back in Trey Young and John Collins specifically, and then you throw in these guys around them, if they get any internal improvement at all, they're going to be really good on offense. And that's, that's obviously happened so far. And that's even with, you know, there are some guys not necessarily in their groove yet. I will point out, and I'm sure you saw this as well. The Hawks are shooting 40% from three so far as a team that is not sustainable, I would say, but the shot quality has been pretty good. And even then, like, it's not like all of the guys are shooting above their head so far and the internal improvement stuff really matters. So, I mean, I've been asked this. Uh, I, I did a radio hit earlier today. I was asked this, like, can the Hawks be the best offense in the league? And I, my answer is probably yes to can they be. It would be no to will they be. Does that sound about right to you? Like, I'm trying to figure out what their ceiling is. It's, it's way too early to actually figure this stuff out. But offensively, what is their ceiling, you think? Well, I think they can definitely be a top five unit. Like, I, I think 10, like a top 10 offense is really the four. And I think yeah. a lot of it would just depend on how good they are when Trey is off the four. Um, when Trey's on the floor, I have little doubt that they're going to be a top 10 unit. Um, excuse me, a top five unit. But if they can continue to play well with him off, and that's where I think that uh, Herter and Bogdan have been really key. If they can maintain those possessions when he's off the floor, then they really can't be a top three, two or three offense. Yeah, I think it's going to be really good. And, you know, we'll see what Rondo brings whenever he is back and healthy. He's doubtful coming into Monday's game. Um, but even then, just a steady hand whenever Trey leaves the court. And uh, it encourages me that they have not tried to have those guys play together yet in Trey and Rondo. I don't love that pairing, but if you have Rondo just kind of run the second unit, that's totally fine. Um, let's talk about Trey for a second because everyone knows how good he is. He's quite good. I think he's underrated nationally. Um, the free throw discussion kind of got off the rails in the last week or so, and uh, he actually didn't get to the line a whole lot last night on Saturday. But given that we, that we both brought him up a little bit already on this podcast, what are your overall impressions of what he has done so far this year? Obviously, he had the huge leap last year, but what's changed? What are you seeing from Trey? And uh, is it all sustainable? Obviously, the free throw stuff being the, uh, the top line thought nationally right now. Well, I think overall, he's he's been Trey Young. He's 96 percentile on all shots off the dribble on 37 shots. And 
the better shooting, I think, is making him more dangerous in pick and roll. Last year, he did a really good job of creating shots, but on passes, the spot-up shooters, they just didn't shoot well. They were under 35% overall, and that was 31st percentile in synergy. But this year, even with Gallinari out, so they're really missing some key, obviously one really key shooter. They've been so much better. They're just under 38% and 62nd percentile overall. So I think you're finding it harder to sort of cheat on drives with him. And when he and Collins have that two-man game going with shooting around them, there's just <laughs> not a lot you can do about it. And it's been a lot of fun to watch. But I think overall, uh, my primary takeaway on Trey has just been that he's been more of a four general. He's not taking quite as many threes as he had last year. Of course, that's a very small sample size. But last year, he was at 12.5 three-point attempts per 100 possessions. And this year, he's at 8.8. So I think he's just kind of jacking less than he did last year. And if you look at his shots that uh, are classified as very early in the shot clock, like 18 to 22 seconds, last year, over 21% of his shots were in that frame. And that can be, that can, that can cause problems because you're just not getting your teammates involved. You'll have trips down the floor where essentially nobody else touches the ball and that can create issues. This year, he's down to about 14%. And again, it's small sample size, but it's encouraging to see. So I think he's been more of a floor general. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I've heard from some people that, that, that have been surprised at his assists not being through the roof yet. And I, as I say that kind of laughingly because he's still averaging 8.3 assists per game. So I get that he's not had the the massive, you know, 16 assist games just yet. But I, I'm with you. I think his, his usage has been high still, and it's going to always be high. He's that kind of player offensively. It's about 34% usage right now. But they're just more options. He's definitely playing... Um, a little bit more through other guys. His minutes are down a little bit as well so far. I just think that, yeah, it'd be accurate to classify him as more of a floor general. He's certainly looking for his shot when needed, and the and the foul drawing has been the discussion point there. But he's still, you know, relying on other guys and figuring it out. You know, the preseason was kind of a, um, I don't even know how to describe it. It was such a, a false flag in some ways because they, they did not look great in the in preseason. He struggled, and then suddenly when the lights came on, he was fantastic again. And no one was surprised, but there's a feeling out process that's still happening and it's a good thing, but he's definitely, he's definitely trying to figure out what life is like when you're actually surrounded by a bunch of good players. And it's just not a one game, two game thing. Like he's obviously been really good anyway, but it's going to take a little bit for everybody to really kind of figure it all out. And especially for Trey having literally all he could eat basically in the first two, in the first two years to, he still does on some level, but there are obviously options that are much more trustworthy now. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And he's still kind of filling out all the different pieces. And we haven't even got to see uh, a Kongwu or Chris Dunn. And Gallinari, I believe, has played less than 30 minutes on the season. So we still have to see how everything's going to shake, shake out chemistry-wise. But thus far, I mean, I've been really impressed. Obviously, you brought up the foul drawing. And there was that big discussion about that sort of trade move that he does where he invites defenders to jump on his back and draws fouls. And then he hasn't drawn as many in the past couple of games. I think it's probably more due to variance, but it does seem that defenders have done a better job with that particular foul. And overall, I've just been very impressed, but I expect to be with Trey. I, I never really let preseason affect my judgment on him. We have a big sample size on him now that he's one of the best offensive players in the league and he's going to continue to be one. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's well said. And I think that, you know, not to redo the whole thing again, but he is, he's still underrated nationally. If you look at some of the ways that he is discussed, um, or ranked or however you want to say that he's just uh, he's a little bit he's a little bit better than people think he is uh, outside of Atlanta but 
you, we both brought up Gallo earlier. I want to make sure we talk about him real quickly because he is going to be out for two plus weeks here. Uh, reevaluation does not mean return, and he'll, he'll not he'll not he'll now be reevaluated in two weeks. So probably out a little bit, little bit longer than that. You are uh, the resident Gallinari believer uh, at Peachtree Hoops. I know you are very very pro Gallinari. I am as well. I think he's a good player, um, but you're even higher on him than I am. It's a loss for the Hawks. We've not seen him necessarily be at full strength just yet. But I want to make sure we talk about him since I have you here. Um, what are the Hawks missing for the next two plus weeks? And uh, once he gets back in at full strength, what are people going to see from him? Well, they're missing a lot of things. Uh, for one, I think that between Gallinari and Trey Young, I mean, you really do have arguably the best pick and pop duo in the league. And you've barely even had a chance to see that to this point. But really, what it is with him is that he has such a varied offensive game that he can hurt you in a lot of different ways. He can hurt you from spot up opportunities from post, he can create, he can close out games. If you look at how teams have performed with him on the floor just over his entire career, he just constantly makes teams better. Uh, last year, the Thunder were pacing for 50 plus wins. He was the second best player on that team, in my opinion. But I've just always been a fan of how versatile he is on offense. And particularly, I think having someone like him on the floor in crunch time can be really important for Atlanta because they really do need that other shot creator on the floor. Um, next to Trey Young. So I think that's something that he could really help help with. And of course, on bench units, you saw against the Cavaliers last night how much they struggled to score for stretches. And that's something that he could really obviously lift. So I think just the second unit and closing time, they're really missing him. Yeah, I, I think that it's kind of funny because they've been so good on offense. He's played 28 total minutes this season between the two injuries and this is a guy that they obviously invested in in a big way and he's really a, a very proven entity offensively like there's pretty much no way if he is healthy that he is not going to be a really good offensive player at this stage uh defensively obviously there are questions there um fit stuff and all of that it's been litigated to death but he will help their offense like full stop when he's around and this offense is already good enough as it is um, I'm also intrigued. This didn't surprise me, I, and I'm sure it didn't surprise you either, but people have been noticing that he's gotten some time at center in his brief time. And now part of that's a Kong Wu not being there, et cetera, but he's more of a five than a three, that's for sure at this point. He's really a four, but it's interesting to see like what they might unleash with him at center at times. Now, it probably will be with Capella is not playing or something for some reason or Kong Wu's out, but that's a weapon that they really can go to. In addition to having Collins there, who we'll talk about later on, they have another small ball five option in Gallinari that's like even kind of crazier and that he's not even, he's not as athletic as Collins is a kind of the rim protector of Collins, but he turns like floor spacing and just like ridiculous um, approaches offensively. If they want to go like true five out, uh, that would be a way to do it. Oh yeah. I, I agree 100%. He's one of the most complete offensive forwards or I guess bigs now in, in the league. And he helps you in so many different ways. Like I said, we've barely even seen him in pick and pop with Trey. I think that's going to be a really devastating combo. Maybe it, especially if they can get to the playoffs, I think that's something you'll really see the value of there. But yeah, they need to keep uh, keep him healthy, and his availability is going to be really key for their ceiling. I think. Yeah, he's been a guy who's had some durability issues. You know, he was healthy last year, um, and they knew coming in. I think that he wasn't going to play 72 games this season. But even then, he's been a little bit snake bitten to this point, and uh, we'll see what he looks like when he comes back um, before I ask you about some other guys from Capella to Collins, etc., a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. And the first of which is built bar. 
I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case, but also the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic and they continue to be so, but now there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and, a, and of course my personal favorite, and cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code Locked On when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code Locked On for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. All right, I want to pivot now to Clint Capella, who's come on in the last two games. Uh, there was a lot of rumblings that I was hearing. I'm sure you were as well on Twitter from Hawks fans concerned about Capella, um, who did not look great early on physically after the long layoff, but he he played very well, I thought, in both games on Friday and Saturday, showed off his rebounding chops, all of that stuff. What have your impressions been? And uh, since we've now seen him look like more of, it, of himself – what are your thoughts on what he might be able to do to uh, sort of add to the, uh, to the existing formula with this team? Well, I've always been a big Clint Capella fan, especially in his run in 2018 with, with the Rockets. A lot of it is I just really like that particular archetype for centers, like really good rim runners that can also protect the rim that don't require a lot of usage and can control the glass. Like I, I just really like that type of center. And he's always been one of the best examples of it. And he's one of the best play finishers in the league. If you look at uh, assisted real, assisted field goals made at the rim since 2001, he has two of the top three seasons. And if you look at the top five overall, it's Capella number one, Capella number three, and, and Shaq's on there twice, and then Anthony Davis. So I think that speaks a lot about how effective he can be as a finisher. We haven't quite seen that all the way yet because he's still working his way back physically. But I do think that's going to be a really nice pick and roll combination with Trey Young, just sort of a secondary combo um, to the pick and pick and roll uh, tandem with Collins. But overall, like I said, he's still working his way back. But I do think he's looked a lot better in the last couple of games. He's also somebody that has a really high contest rate as a rim protector. He is very good at staying in position to at least challenge shots. He doesn't have like an elite uh, defensive field goal percentage like a Rudy Gobert. He's not someone that can basically create a top 10 defensive unit on his own, but he is effective at challenging shots and doing a pretty good job at making people miss. But I am really excited to see more of him as he starts to work his way back. It's been so long since he played that I think it was expected that he would, he would take time. And obviously he'll still have to kind of work out the fit uh, next to John Collins, not to affect the spacing too much, but overall I've been really impressed with him the last couple of games. Yeah. And they figured out a little, a little bit of some wrinkles offensively. There was one double drag set, um, there's already a lob situation that Collins threw to, to Capella the other day. That so they're they're finding some some stuff there, obviously, but that that is a concern, at least a question mark. I don't, I'm not terribly concerned about it. And Capella also, you know, rebounding has not been a strength of this Hawks team for a long time, and I think that it can be overrated at times. But Capella is truly a gifted rebounder in a way the Hawks haven't had since I don't even know really the last time. I guess Dwight Howard, but he wasn't really moving very well when he was around. Um, Capella's awesome rebounder, and that, that's, a, that's not a small thing. I think that at times it can be 
overstated when teams don't rebound. Like the Hawks famously built an awesome defense with Millsap and um, Horford without being great a great rebounding team. But Capella can really anchor you in that way. That's something that Oli Pierce has been saying quite a bit as well. So we've seen that already, but it's just kind of worth pointing out. And that's something that can allow you to close possessions in a way they weren't able to before. Right. I wholeheartedly agree with that, especially when you look at it how much trouble they had rebounding last year. And that really affected their transition offense too, because they weren't able to get a board. So having him on the floor is going to help a lot there. He's also someone that's just always been an effective rim protector. And I really want to emphasize that he has a long sample size of that. He's someone too, that can play when he's moving. Well, he can play a variety of of different defensive coverages. He's not someone that's just purely a drop big. He can play aggressive on pick and roll when he's moving. Well, that is, so I think having that kind of involvement in their defense is going to be big for them going forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to ask you sort of as a point of uh, transition, I want to ask you about John Collins because you've been, uh, I've, I've been watching your your Twitter clips recently. There was one today as, uh, we, as we record on Sunday about John's uh, runner game. Uh, defensively, I know you, me, Glenn Willis, others have pointed out that John's made kind of a leap defensively, at least in my view. Um, what have you seen from him so far? Because, you know, he's been a huge topic of conversation given the lack of an extension. And I don't really care to talk about that. Unless you want to talk about the, the contract stuff, we definitely can do that. But on the court, it feels like to me, his defense is the biggest thing for me, but obviously he's even better offensively. So uh, go wherever you'd like with John Collins. And I want to ask you what you, what you've seen from him so far. Well, he's had his usual efficiency. He hasn't shot the ball from deep quite as well as he did last year. He, he will start to shoot better too. I think he's a little under 30% right now, but I do expect him to move up to at least around the mid thirties, but overall he still has a 64% true shooting percentage. After that first game against Brooklyn, I'm sure you saw that Durant actually caught him the best at slipping screens in the league. Yep. And it's hard to really disagree with that. It's 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 such an awesome feature in their offense. When you have a guard like Trey with the gravity he commands, it's so hard to commit to Collins. And he just has such a good feel with chemistry with Trey for when to slip. And around the rim, his touch is just so good. He's a natural scorer, and he can really score prolifically. But overall, I I have been so impressed with with Collins, especially his defense. Last year his block percentage rose substantially over the year prior and he's maintained that uh, he does need to address some of his fouling issues right now. He's like 10 percentile among, among bigs and foul rate. So he'll need to make some strides there and kind of find a balance between staying engaged, but not fouling too much. Of course, he's going to foul some and you expect that because fouling is correlated with defensive impact. It, it makes sense. If you're staying engaged, you're going to foul a good bit, but they do need to make sure they keep him on the floor. But overall, he's been very impressive. And when you look at some of his like holistic impact metrics, I want to really emphasize that we're so early in the season, like don't read too much into this. <laughs> yeah. But he's actually number 12 overall in estimated plus minus. So that's the highest of all the Hawks. I believe Trey is uh, 20. I looked, I looked earlier today. But he's just been so good overall and really impressive. Uh, when he and Trey share the floor, they have like a silly 126.5 offensive rating uh, in 126 minutes per PPP stats. So they've been really incredible together. And I like how playing him at the five just enables you to get more shooting on the four. So when you have that two-man game going with him and Trey in the middle of the four, as long as you have space around them, you really can't do much to stop that. And that's why I'm so confident that their offense is going to be pushing for elite status. But overall, I really like this play on both ends. Yeah, you mentioned it there, but Collins is only playing 27 minutes a game. And I think – Part of that is having other bodies around now, but most of it is the foul stuff. And it's not a huge concern for me, 
but he has to figure it out how to keep the defensive impact, like you said, and also not, you know, foul himself out. And Lloyd's been pretty cautious with him at times, maybe even a little bit too much at times, keeping him off the court when he has two fouls early, et cetera. But I think that it's kind of just funny to hear the people nationally that still talk about John like he was a rookie as this terrible defender. And I'll be the first to point out that early in his career and especially going back to college, he was a bad defender, um, but he got way better last year. And I think this year he's been even better than that. So um, if you, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about just Andrew right now um, to listeners, if you hear people talking about John Collins, like he's a sieve defensively, they're not paying attention anymore because he's, he's not, I'm not saying he's like a game changing all world defender, but he's no longer a, a big concern for me defensively. Is that um, how you feel or am I overstating that? Yeah, he uses verticality really well. And that's, of course, going straight up on challenges. He does just enough. He's not real long. I believe his wingspan's what, like 6'11", something around there. But he does a really good job of going straight up and doing just enough to kind of make guys miss. Also, I think that his agility has improved a little bit in space. To me, he's done a better job of denying penetration. I believe he had one steal or a strip on Kevin Durant in one of those uh, Nets games that really stood out to me about how he's improved on the perimeter. But overall, yeah, he's, he's been very good defensively. Really the main area that I would like to see him improve is just with his creation and some of his ball handling stuff. He doesn't have to do a lot, but the Hawks offense is very naturally going to create a lot of opportunities from spot up situations. And so he's become a pretty good shooter where he can can above the break threes. Uh, generally when he's more open, he still has some issues when guarded. But what you would like to see him do is improve in sort of that short middle range. Like when he can't get all the way to the rim, he needs to improve his finishing there. So that's something that I really like to see because when they play crunch time lineups, it's going to be very hard to defend them with the wings that they have and Gallinari. So there's not much you can do about those guys when they can all shoot and create off the dribble. So if Collins can become more refined as a ball handler and a scorer in areas that, you know, isn't assisted, He's going to be, it's going to be so difficult to stop the Hawks offense. Yeah. And I would, I would encourage people to check out the, uh, the thread that you put together earlier today on Sunday about his, uh, about his sort of that runner game. And I, I would agree with all of that. I think, you know, John has obviously proven to be a spectacular offensive player, um, pick and roll threat, pick and pop threat, all that stuff. But uh, the next step for him to take is definitely that, that self-creation. He splashed a little bit of it, but there's uh, still room to go there. Um, I won't make you go through the entire roster, uh, as we've been doing so far, but I do have to ask you about DeAndre Hunter real quickly because, you know, all the noise about all the guys they brought in from Capella to Bogdanovich to Gallinari to Rondo, all justified. They improved the depth so much on this team, but internal improvement is driving a lot of this so far in terms of the way the Hawks are playing. I think Hunter is the number one case of that. He's played so well so far. What have you made of that transformation? Again, it's all small sample size, and you've been good about reminding people of that. I'll do the same thing now. But he's playing really well and obviously much better than last year. Yeah, Hunter is someone that I've been really critical of the trade that they made on draft nine. Just from a value perspective, I thought the process was very poor. But I do think with his play, he's showing that it doesn't always matter when it comes to guys that are six foot seven and six foot eight and can dribble, pass, and shoot. When you are going to sort of violate certain standards on process. It's good to do it. It's, it's good to do it if you're going to accumulate wing talent is basically what I'm trying to say. It's just been really impressive how poised he's been and the leap that he's made overall. Um, going back to the Cavs game from last night, everything just kind of went south for the Hawks in the second half, but he had a really impressive stretch in crunch time. He had a block and then an assist 
And it just reminded you how poised he is, how in control he is. I really like how he can develop as a glue guy and how he fits, how he scales with other players. That's still something that I think Reddish has to work on if he's going to play with the starters as much as he's been doing. But I've been really impressed with Hunter overall. Uh, Zach Milner of the Stepien, someone who's actually been on this podcast as well, he tweeted earlier that last year he only made seven of 43s on the dribble. And this year he's already five and nine. So you can just sort of see the confidence growing. He had a step back three earlier at the end of that Nets game that he would have never even attempted last year. So you can see the confidence really growing with him. And I've just been so impressed overall. There's like this famous quote uh, by Cold's Wicker on him. I think that he kind of plays like he's reading from an instruction manual. I don't know <laughs> if you've heard that. Yeah. But this year, he just seems like he's reading the game and processing so much better. And you can just really see the confidence again. And man, he's looked so good so far. You also see the versatility and how many guys he can guard. Like they put him on Kyrie Irving and he can hold up at least pretty well there. He's still improving as far as like steals and blocks, but he is showing more rim protection, I think, this year. And the size and versatility just creates so many opportunities for him to be useful. Yeah, he's uh, playing with more confidence and just kind of playing more naturally, letting his feel take over a little bit. That was a question that people had about him and uh, justifiably so. But yeah, you mentioned the pull-up threes. There was one that that I tweeted – um, I was at the game um, last night, and I think it was in the first quarter, that there's no way he takes the shot. Like, he he just took, like, a very aggressive um, pull-up, step-in three that he just wouldn't have taken last year. It was a perfectly fine shot. It was just that that's a shot that you have to be aggressive on. There was zero hesitation whatsoever. He held, he held the follow-through, like, celebrated in the way that he doesn't often do. And it's just a reminder that, like, yes, he's he was an older college kid, but he uh, – is still young and definitely sort of coming out of his shell a little bit and just playing with a lot more. Uh, I'm not even sure what the word is. Juice gusto. Choose, choose your own adventure on that word, but he's composure, just I think is really yeah, that too. thing with him. He's, he's so composed on the ball and he's top 15 right now in total spot up opportunities. I think he's someone who's going to be really prolific as a catch and shoot guy. I'm sure you can recall in Torian Prince's last season, he was really good at that aspect of the game. I mean, he wasn't good in other areas, but he was a really good spot up guy. Yeah. And I think that you could see Hunter really develop in that way. And that's just such an obvious, obvious partner for Trey when you think about how many open shot attempts that he creates. So he's been just so impressive overall again, and he deserves a lot of credit for it this year. Yeah. I mean, you talked about the trade. I mean, and I, I talked about the trade a ton because that's part of my job and I didn't like the process of it either, but I've always been high on Hunter as a player, which I try to make sure that I point out at all times. And this is what they wanted to do. Like you can argue about the process and I have, and you have and other others have, but this is the kind of guy that they thought they were going to be getting. And if they do get that player, then process be damned kind of stuff comes out. So sometimes you just hit on guys and that's what kind of matters in the end. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And one other thing too on him is, Going into the season, when you looked at sort of the lineup, if you could just envision him becoming like an average starting small forward or average starting forward of some kind, you can really see how the Hawks lineup is very solid overall. And thus far, that's exactly what he's looked like. He's been a very legit starting wing, and that's not easy to do in your second season in the in the NBA, no matter where you're drafted. But he's, again, been very impressive overall, and I'm looking forward to see what he can do for the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um I can't remember if I made you tell me this or not. Um, before I ask you one final question, uh, that's more big picture. Uh, what did you expect for this team in terms of overall performance this year coming in? And how has that changed, if at all, through six games? Because that's always hard. Like, 
they start out four and two people want to suddenly predict that they're going to win 50 games this year uh and i i'm always hesitant to kind of assign that but i actually don't remember what you said before the season if, if anything so what do you think about this team's overall performance and like outlook for this season going into the season i thought it was going to take time for everything to gel they signed so many capable players that it's going to take time to sort of assign roles and players for, to accept those roles. So I thought probably a lower playoff seed, like seven or eight, with their absolute floor being like the play-in tournament. I think that's a 10 seed. But overall, they've I, I wouldn't say they've really changed too much on, on that. The offense has been really impressive. So you can see the ceiling there. But the defense still has a long way to go, in my opinion. And it's harder for me to fully buy into them as, you know, a team that could be like a, a, a mid-tier kind of playoff team in the East until they start to make more defensive improvement. But the offense can take them very far. And more than anything else, they've just been so much fun to watch. You know, after the last few years, it's just been such a slog outside of some of the young guys. It's really fun to actually see guys that can shoot and just see actual NBA talent on the floor. And, you know, and they go to the bench and then Bogdanovich comes off. Like, whereas last year it was like Vince Carter, you know. So it's just so much improvement across the board. Yeah, it's funny, but I think that if you assume they keep these same roles all season long, I would argue, and I'm sure you probably would too, like Bogdanovich and Gallinari are two of the best five to ten quote-unquote bench guys in the league because they're not really bench guys, but they're coming off the bench. So if you want to just look at it that way, those two guys are top, you know, 80 players in the league probably. And they're coming off your bench if you want to look at it that way. So that just kind of tells you about the depth that they have. Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. And again, Chris Dunn was legitimately one of the best perimeter defenders in the entire NBA last season, like legitimately one of the best guards absolutely had an all defense caliber season. So, and he hasn't even played for them. So when you look at the pieces, they're just so deep. And again, they're still gonna have to kind of figure out how to optimize their rotation. I do think that they, need to figure out some things on the second unit really getting a Kongwu back to sort of replace the Fernando minutes, I think will be really big, but yeah, if everything goes right for them, it's possible they could be in that kind of four or five seed mix, but they're, they're still going to have to improve defensively. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think they have higher upside than maybe most thought that they did coming into the year, but it's still early and uh, that's probably enough on uh, on this year's team, although you can you could throw something in if you'd like to. I do have to ask you one question because it's, it's you on this podcast and you are famous for this, and that is the thought of a consolidation trade for the Atlanta Hawks. Now, no one's in a hurry right now to trade guys because the Hawks are playing well, and I totally get that, but you've been banging the drum for a while, and by the way, I agree with you, that the Hawks have the pieces, if they wanted to, to make one of those big, not necessarily all-in, but like, obvious consolidation trades for a star and that's not breaking ground but you are at the forefront of this so I'm wondering what you think about that now because of the the sort of the early season stuff that we've seen you know no no stars are available outside of James Harden who is a weird fit for sure uh but just more broadly in the concept is that still where your head's at for this long-term uh building process for the Hawks to kind of make one of those moves that they can well, I think it should always be on the radar. It's not that they necessarily have to make this trade in order to become like a true contender, but typically you're going to need at least a couple top 20 players. It's possible that guy's already on the roster. He could develop into a second top 20 player. I'm already including Trey there because I, I think he is. Yeah. So I think that the most direct way to do that would be be a trade of some kind. And when you look at the roster, how many young guys they have that are going to be appealing to teams, they have a number of young wings. They have... Uh, guys that are useful 
players like a Gallinari or a Bogdanovich or Capella. They're able to combine salaries and they have all their future picks. So they're in position to do some kind of consolidation trade if they wanted to at some point. I don't think it's like pressing. They need to still evaluate what they have and not make a decision too early on anybody. But they do need to have an eye to the continually shaping landscape of the NBA. So they need to be monitoring what players might be available. I think <laughs> it would, I don't think they're going to get like a, a James Harden <laughs> or someone like that. But you I would love that though. Be... <laughs> I, I know that you would love that. I know you would. Yeah. It's, it's okay. It's okay. I, I would love that. I, I think our, our colleague Glenn Willis can rest easy there. That Harden would not be an Atlanta Hawk in, <laughs> in the near future, but they could potentially get in it for like a Bradley Beal, maybe even a Pascal Siakam type. You never know. Someone sort of, you know, on the edge of like the top 25 kind of player. Um, just, I, I can't predict anything like imminent there. Obviously I don't know what, what they're going to do, but I, I do think they should be monitoring it. And that's maybe like not the most satisfying answer but they're positioned for it. And pretty soon they're going to have to start paying guys. So they have to keep that in mind as well. So how they allocate their salary in a way they can optimize a title window is going to be really important for them. Yeah. People know this, that I, I don't talk about trade stuff really, unless there's an actual rumor or at least I'm asked about it. Um, but because I know you and I talked about this before, I agree. It's not like the sexiest conversation in the world because it really is just kind of being about, you know, being ready to pounce if a, guy comes available and you know Harden is the guy right now that's available but he is not a natural fit in a lot of ways nor have you heard any rumblings about the, about the Hawks actually being involved there but it's the next guy I don't know who that's going to be maybe it's Beal whatever you want to say I, I'm not trying to say it's any particular player but that's kind of a natural thing for a team that's built the way the Hawks have this is a point I've made before but it's worth just kind of emphasizing like this is not a shot at any particular player but usually if you build the way the Hawks did through the draft, draft, you know, five guys basically who are all young still on the rookie contracts, usually not all five of those guys make it to year five or year six with that team. Usually you will get a, a, a trade of some sort or a guy leaving for agency or whatever happens there. And I'm not going to tell you that I know who's going to be. It, it, it might not be anybody, but it's just worth like, usually the odds are that all of your, all of your young guys do not just continue to stay on your team forever. That's just not the course of action usually in the NBA. And it could happen, but now, now the Hawks have six guys who are young. If you throw in a Kongwu who hasn't even played yet. So they have all these young pieces. And uh, normally that means one of those guys, or maybe even two, or however you want to say that are moved on from in the next couple of years, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. That's, that's generally how it works. You just can't keep everyone. And you also have to continually be monitoring Trey's upcoming max extension. He's going to get at least a 25% max with the capability to rise to 30% if he fulfills the Rose rule requirements. Yep. If they pay Collins, that's going to be another 20% plus in the salary gap. And then they'll, eventually they'll have guys like Hunter and Reddish and Herter up for deals. It's hard to just keep everybody there. And it's important to be able to allocate your salaries in a way that you're paying the very best players. You know, it's, it's hard to have have your salaries distributed in a way where you're paying like seven or eight good guys versus like, you know, two, two or three really good guys. And then some guys that are more on like the vet men, things like that. So I do think that they need to be monitoring that situation, but it's, it, it doesn't have to be imminent. Just, you know, keep an eye on it. <laughs> yeah. I just had to bring it up because, because I had you on the podcast and uh, that's, that's part of your brand, I think is to uh, go star hunting. And I think you're right about that generally, but it's just kind of funny. Um, well, Andrew, you give me a bunch of time. We, we could talk forever, but uh, if you have anything else that you'd love to get off your chest, feel free to do so. And if not, 
please plug yourself because you have a fantastically interesting Twitter account. You've written a few times for Peachtree Hoops as well. Um, share people where they can find your work if they haven't already. Real quick before I, I do that, I did want to give some credit too to, to Kevin Herter. He's, he's been oh, a player yeah. I thought has been really impressive this year. Like his playmaking has been so important. And I think that he deserves a lot of credit for that. When things just completely collapsed last year, as you know, when Trey left the floor, they've been better so far. Um, there's only been 80 minutes so far. Uh, but when the Hawks have had Herder on and Trey off, they've actually had like just a negative 2.6 net rating, which isn't bad, and a near 116 offensive rating for PVP. And that's just really impressive, especially considering they haven't had guys like Gallinari who could lift bench units. So I really wanted to make sure that people realize how useful he's been in the early going for the Hawks and that he's not really lost in the mix. You know, you see so much about Hunter and Reddish and Trey and guys like that. You don't want to overlook a piece like Herder. And that goes back to what you were saying too about as far as like consolidation trades, like they have a lot of young guys that have appeal, particularly wings. So I just wanted to make sure that I really gave him like, I guess like a shout out and address that he's been playing very well. No, I, um, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate you doing that by the way, because uh, like I said before, I could have asked you about every single player and I should have brought up Herter because Herter has been like capital G good so far. And in a way where he was kind of the forgotten guy, I think coming into the season, because you know, Reddish is uh, probably has the most hype. Hunter was the guy who played so much last year and Herder kind of was kind of like the other guy that no one talked about. I know we did, but not necessarily on a broad scale. So I'm glad you brought that up because he's playing, he's playing great. Oh yeah. I just wanted to make sure people realize how effective he's been, but otherwise you guys can follow me on Twitter. Uh, a Kelly's my handle at a N D L a N K E L L L. I try and have content pretty much every day from a lot of different things, clips, stats, analysis, opinions, but really appreciate follows there and appreciate people uh, engaging with my stuff there and commenting. It's always fun. Yeah. Hopefully uh, we can continue to uh, raise that profile a little bit. Andrew is a must follow. If you are a Hawks fan or really just an NBA fan in general, uh, not only limited to the Hawks. I know I'm, it's kind of funny these days that if I tweet about the NBA and it's not about the Hawks, people get confused. And it's like, as I cover the league as, as a whole, it's not just, it's not just the Hawks. <laughs> yeah. Uh but uh, it's not it's not a bad thing. You know, Hawks fans are excited right now, as they should be. And you should be following Andrew for sure if you are not doing that already. And uh, I was un- I was only a little bit upset that the Hawks didn't sign DeAnthony Melton after your 5,000-word uh, uh, just deep dive into Melton as the Hawks. We were all excited about that. And I know you uh, you, you had your, your fingers crossed. Maybe, maybe they'll trade for him at some point. Yeah, I've already poured out a 40 in honor of that. As you should. All right, Andrew. Well, thanks for doing this, man. Uh, Again, please follow Andrew. Please check out this podcast, uh, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we'll see you after the game on Monday.